While you remain standing, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. It's on page 573 if you're using a pew Bible. Isaiah chapter 9, uh, beginning with verse 1. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff uh, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling, tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Thus ends a reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we, we come before you today, uh, we, are, we have read, as we've been thinking about the Christmas story, uh, many different events, even of the angels coming and proclaiming the Word of God. And now, this morning, the prophets proclaiming the Word of the Lord to your people. And God, the reality is, is every Sunday your Word is proclaimed to us through the reading of your Word, through the preaching of your Word. And we would pray, God, that we might have the same reverence, the same glory, the same uh, holiness as we encounter you speak to us O lord we need your word as much as your people did centuries ago uh, we thank you and pray that you just open our hearts to receive this um, father that you would um, deal with us in our hearts as we need to encourage us maybe to even rebuke and correct us lord to comfort us whatever we pray that your spirit would do his work to your glory. We ask in your name. Amen. Well, for most people, Christmas is the most anticipated time of the year. At least I'm sure that's true for the kids. But I think, believe it or not, for a lot of adults, that's the case as well. And it's a, it's a time to think of others when oftentimes we easily think of ourselves. It's, it's a time for... Uh, us to give in a culture that is oftentimes just taking and taking and taking and receiving. It's a time to, to yearn and to long for peace when we're surrounded by war and strife and conflict. It's a time for family. It's a time to celebrate hope. And that's the way it is for a lot of people. 
But for some, Christmas is a, is a time of disappointment or pain. Maybe as you come to the end of the year, there's, there's hopes and dreams that you have that have gone unfulfilled. Maybe you're that person that at the beginning of the Christmas season, you're full of joy and promise and excitement, and yet by the end, you're burnt out and you're tired, and maybe there's been family strife or disappointment in circumstances, and so you end the Christmas season very disappointed and discouraged. Or maybe you are what I want to call the lonely heart. You're the person that has had much pain in your life. And as you come to the Christmas season, maybe you've lost a child or, or a loved one. Uh, maybe you're all alone in the Christmas season and every Christmas carol you hear, every uh, holiday commercial, every Hallmark movie that you see just causes that pain to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into your heart. Well, too often there is a gap between what we hope for during the Christmas season and what we actually experience. It might be that we gather with family and friends and we give gifts, we sing carols, and doing all these things in the hope of finding peace, of maybe having some escape from the, the regular circumstances of life. But how often lasting peace seems to elude us. Well, this morning... And our text today, it, it is one of those texts that is oftentimes read at, at Christmas. You see it on Christmas cards. You know, it, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, not just Counselor, but Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I wish I could take time to sort of unpack each one of those titles that are given to Jesus. It's, it's just glorious. Uh, even the little bit of study I did this week. But today I want us just to really focus on that, that last phrase, the Prince of Peace. You know, oftentimes when we, we read this verse, we think of it as expressing the Christmas spirit. And maybe for some of you, it gives you warm fuzzies inside. I don't know. But you know, you just think of Christmas whenever you read this. But from God's perspective, it's not that kind of verse, actually. It's, it's not a verse to, to make us feel good about ourselves. It's actually a message of hope to real people who live in real life. Um, it's, it was written to Judah, which is the southern tribe of Israel. Remember, Israel divided in two kids. You have the northern tribe, which was called Israel, and the southern tribe that was called Judah. And this was written to Judah, to God's people. And they were being attacked by Israel the nation of Israel, and Syria. So if I could sort of liken it maybe to what's going on in the world today, it's a little bit like Russia coming against Ukraine, right? This big superpower coming against this, this smaller nation, and uh, Judah very much felt that. Now Ahaz was the king of Judah, and, and you can imagine how he felt. Actually, we don't have to imagine. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2, tells us how Ahaz felt when these two nations come knocking on his door to kick him out of power and to take over his nation. Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2. It says, When the house of David, that's another name for Judah, uh, was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, that is Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. 
Now, if anybody understands that verse, it's Kansans, right? We understand that. When the wind blows through the trees and just how unsettling that is, and that's how they felt. And God sent uh, um, his prophet Isaiah to Ahaz the king. Because anytime you're in those kind of circumstances, and this is oftentimes true, when we are in those times of temptation and we're in those times where we might doubt the Lord, those times when our, our world is sort of rocked, isn't God oftentimes faithful to bring his word to us, his promises to cause us to stand firm? Because God knows that it's in those times that we, we can wrestle and, and Satan can get a foothold in our life and cause us to worry and, and to doubt. And so God was faithful to send his prophet Isaiah to Ahaz. Unfortunately, Ahaz was not faithful to listen to God's word. You know, I don't know what his comments were to Isaiah, but I could just imagine he would say, Look, you're a preacher. You don't know anything about military battles. What do you mean, trust the Lord? I got nations that are wanting to kill us. I got to take extreme measures here. I, I don't know. But anyway, we do know from God's word that he turned to the nation of Assyria to ally himself with them to, to take care of these nations. And so basically Ahaz rejected the word of the Lord. And so God sent his judgment, not just because of that one circumstance, but, but God's people, their heart had been turning away from him over a period of time. And so God sent his judgment upon his people. Now the Lord always saves a remnant. Those people who are faithful to the Lord, even through those times when the nation sort of walks away from the Lord. But I, I was thinking about it this week and I thought, you know, so the Lord is here giving his hope of the coming messianic king. That's what we see in our passage today that we're going to be looking at. But still, those people in that remnant who believe the Lord and follow him still had to go through the judgment that the nation went through. Well, how are they going to stand firm? Well, as they look at God's promise. You see, when Christ came as this child king at Christmas, he doesn't just come as a baby in a manger. Christ comes as a savior king for us, coming for us right where we are, right where we live, in the, in, in the circumstances of our life. And, and before we look at this morning the idea of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, I just want to point out just a couple of things about this passage that I hope would encourage you. First of all, I want you to notice that it's all written in the past tense. Look at it. It's all in the past tense, which doesn't make sense for us because Ahaz is still facing Israel. He's still facing Syria that's standing at his borders to take over. And nothing's been resolved yet, and yet this is all written in past tense. You know, those people... Um, who have walked in darkness now are in light. He talks about, uh, you know, the joy that has that has happened, and and what this is is it's a prophetic idiom that Hebrew prophets used. They would speak a future, uh, uh, speak of the future in the past tense, um, and as if the future had already happened, to show the certainty of God's promises. Okay, they're, they're wanting his people to see that the Lord is going to do something and it is such a done deal, it is such a sure thing that we can actually write it in the past tense as if it's already happened. 
And so if you look at verse 3, you see here, he says, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. He doesn't say you will multiply the nation and you will increase its joy. He speaks as if it's already happening. And God is wanting to assure his people that though their circumstances are now grim, and though their hope may be dim within their hearts, the fulfillment of God's promise of rescue to them is certain. And so he uses this language. Do we not need to hear that today? Do we need not to hear that in the circumstances of our lives and the things that we are going through and the hardships that we are encountering? That God's promises are so true that you can speak about it in the past tense as if they've already happened. Now, oftentimes what we struggle with is not God's promises. What we struggle with is what we desire God to do for us instead of what he promised to do. But we cannot rest in our desires. We have to rest in his promises. The second thing I, I want you to notice is that the rescue comes in a child that's to be born for them. There's a child who is going to do a vicarious work for them. In other words, he's going to work on their behalf. Uh, look at verse 6, at the language that's used here. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now, this is very similar language that Isaiah used back in chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child and bear a son. And then hundreds of years later, uh, Dr. Luke, when he wrote his gospel in the New Testament... He picks up on the same language in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. And he said, Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. You see, this child's birth is for his people. It's for the well-being of his people. For the saving of his people. We need this child to be born because he is the Prince of Peace. Now, my, my sermon outline is like really complicated today. The first point is prince, and the second point is peace, okay? We're just going to break it down that simply, okay? And we're going to look at this and what that means for us today. Christ is the prince. See, this is a, a title, a formal title appropriately given to him that communicates his executive authority or his authority to govern or his authority to rule. And so this child has a kingly work to do. Uh, we see in verse 6, the government will rest on his shoulders. Verse 7 goes on and says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. You see, Isaiah picks up this language again later on in chapter 22, verse 22, where God says, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and not open. You see, what he's saying here is, is that Christ shoulders the full weight of executive authority uh, govern the kingdom of God. He shoulders the burden of rule. Jesus was born to be the king that first Christmas morning. If you have been a person who's ever served in any kind of leadership capacity, you understand the weight of leadership. 
Now, if you're in leadership just for your own personal selfish gain, you probably didn't feel the weight of leadership because you were just there to please you. But if you truly were a good leader to serve those that you were placed over, then you felt that weight of leadership. Now, look back, if you would, at verse 4 for a moment. And when the prophet is describing the remarkable transformation that takes place in the wake of the birth of Jesus Christ from a situation of oppression to a situation of liberation, from a situation of sorrow to a situation of joy, he talks about the staff for the shoulders of the oppressed people, uh, the rod of the oppressor being broken. Okay, Um, do do, do you see that in verse 4? You see, the burden on the shoulders of God's people is lifted because Jesus shoulders that burden and that rule for us. Now we know in the New Testament, it it lays out for us and and shows us that the enemies that Christ conquered was sin and death. The thing that keeps us from God, the things that, that destroys our relationships with one another. Matt prayed for those people that are struggling in broken relationships. The thing that breaks those relationships is our sin. It's the sin of the other person that we're in relationship with. The problems in the world that we have today are because of our sin, because of our selfishness and the things that we want. And yet Christ has come to deal with that sin. And first and foremost, the sin that we have against God, the way we have sinned against Him. And He has established it where we can once again have a relationship with God, where our sins would be forgiven, where Christ has paid for that. And so the burden on our shoulders is removed because he bears it as the Prince of Peace. Amen? That's glorious news. But it's not just that burden. Because the reality is, brothers and sisters, we still live in a fallen world. We still live in a world where there's broken relationships, where there's there's wars that we see, there's sickness, there's illness that, that goes on. Those things still occur. But even in the midst of living in in a fallen world, God gives His people peace. You remember Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 through 30. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Don't you just hunger for that? Don't you just desire that sense of rest? You know, it's amazing. I think we spend a lot of time in our lives trying to sort of create a world without stress and without tension and without conflict. We are hungering for that sense of rest. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, that the, the weight that we oftentimes try to carry is, is so heavy. And yet Jesus burdened his light. And, and back in verse 4 again, the prophet speaks about a terrible yoke of a burden being placed upon the suffering people of God. And, and there's only two ways to live when it comes to such burden. Uh, either you, your shoulders endure the staff of the oppressor and the yoke of this dreadful burden of sin and guilt in the sight of God, or you come under the reign of the Prince of Peace and your shoulders 
bear the yoke of his authority, not the, the yoke of the oppressor that is upon us. You see, there, there's only, there are only two options available to us. To either try to live our lives with ourselves as the, the, the master of our <coughs> destiny, and we are going to take care of everything that comes our way, or to entrust ourselves to the Prince of Peace. Uh, the writer of Psalms uh, writes, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Now, now notice, here again, this is where our desires and God's promises can be very different. Our desires oftentimes is, as we walk through those trials and those difficulties of life, maybe we're struggling with illness or, or something else, and you know we want God to remove those circumstances. But God never promised to remove those circumstances. But He has promised that He would sustain us through those times. You know, and we've seen the Lord uh, do that. You know, as we've talked about, you know, uh, it's been great to see how we prayed for Aaron and to see her then return to work, you know. But it's always easy, I think, when we get what we want. But then there's other times where we prayed, like for my sister Sherry, who has pancreatic cancer, and the cancer hasn't gone away. But the Lord has sustained us through that. He's been gracious for that cancer not to spread. But even though that cancer is still there, we can trust the Lord. Matt, the same way, for years he's wrestled with cancer. And yet the Lord has sustained him and continue to use him. Now, you might be a person that tells yourself that life on your own terms is really where life of freedom is. If I can just do what I want to do and I can have control of my life, but the scriptures make it very clear that when you live on your own terms, you actually are a slave to sin and to self and to your own desires. Uh, and you find yourself, you never are satisfied. You're constantly looking for the next thing, you know, because your desires are always wanting more and you actually end up being a slave to those desires. But true freedom is not radical independence. No, it's not. No matter what pop culture says, to the contrary, true freedom is submission to the easy yoke and the light burden of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. It is to give our hearts to Him and to say, Lord, I, I'm done being the master of my life. I want you to rule over me. Those who surrender the reins of their lives to Him know the relief of not having to be king anymore. And that's a, that, can be, that can be a freedom, brothers and sisters. And even for Christians, even those who have come to faith in Him, maybe you in your life have been wrestling with circumstances in your life, and you have been trying to work out the details of your life and make everything happen, and you've been carrying all that weight upon you. But you can turn that over to the Lord. What a relief. Here's a large part of what makes the story of that first Christmas such good news because of Jesus Christ you can stop trying to make sense of it all because of Jesus Christ you can stop trying to anticipate every possible eventuality for your life trying to figure out every circumstance and work out every detail of your life you can stop bearing the crushing burden of kingship and you can let Jesus be king your shoulders are, are just not broad enough for it all a better king has come. 
and you can submit to his dominion. You can bend the knee to his lordship and embrace his mastery over your life. Let the Lord Jesus take the reins, brothers and sisters. You can trust him. He is the prince of peace. It's on his shoulders that rests the government. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So bend the knee to King Jesus and you will find peace. Actually, there's really no other way to have Jesus. You, you can't have him on any other terms. You can't have him as your savior and your rescuer and your friend without also having him as your Lord and your prince and your king. You can't have him as savior, friend, and rescuer without having him as the Lord and the master and the king of your life. You must submit to him. You see, the life that Jesus redeems, he also rules. The heart that Jesus cleanses, he commands and he tells that heart how to live because he loves you and he wants you to live as he created you to live. There's no deliverance without the dominion of Jesus Christ. That means we, we can't blend Jesus into our pre-existing lifestyle and go on just as we did before. But don't we do that? Don't we do that? We take Jesus and we just sort of mix him into our agenda and our life patterns and the things that we think we ought to do. And we have just enough of Jesus in our hearts, but yet we've not really looked to him to be our king. We don't look to him to say, Lord, it's not about what I want to do. It's about you. It's about what you're doing in your kingdom. I, I want to be your servant. I want to follow you. You see, the, the baby of Bethlehem and the man of Calvary will not allow himself to fall into the background of Christmas sentimentality. He came to rule. He came to be the king in your heart. The government is upon his shoulder. Yes, he breaks the staff of the oppressor from our shoulders and he removes the yoke of the burden from us. He shoulders the weight of the rule for us, which is good news. But he then calls us to submit to his dominion, to be sure his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But if we are to have him at all, we must have him as, as king nonetheless. God is calling you this Christmas to quit living as if your life is your own. If you are a Christian, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And Jesus is your king. Perhaps it's, it's time we began to learn what it looks like when he's in charge and we submit to his mastery. Brothers and sisters, what are you struggling with this morning? What are you trying to take on yourself? And, and you're trying to, to figure out, you're trying to fix. What are the things that you are wrestling with? He is the prince. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the King. To Him belongs executive authority. He wants the Lordship of your heart and your life. So that's what it means that He is Prince. But He is also not just any ruler. He is the Prince of Peace. Now, we think of peace oftentimes as the absence of conflict, right? If you can get rid of hostility, you can get rid of conflict. And those kind of things, then you will have peace. Well, often, like I said, we find ourselves searching a lot for peace. Even just wanting to escape from life. 
Maybe we want to just sit down and read a good book or we want to veg out and watch, you know, some sports on TV or whatever it might be. You know, we just we just want to escape because we think that somehow maybe we can attain some kind of peace there. The problem is that the, the peace that Jesus gives is a positive reality. It's not just the absence of something. It's not just the absence of, of conflict. Nor does it mean that it, peace is not a feeling. Sometimes in our culture today, we just want to talk about those peaceful feelings. But the reality is we can feel peace when in reality we are not right with God and we are not right with others or with the world. And that's what peace means. In, in the Hebrew, it's the word shalom. And it means that you're at peace with God. Everything is right in your relationship with God. Everything is right in your relationship with others. Everything is right in relationship with the world. And we can sometimes have a false sense of peace when the reality is we are not right. You see, the peace Christ gives comes only as we come <coughs> under the lordship and the mastery of Jesus Christ. When he rules our lives with us submitting to him, when he comes to rule, he brings that peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But the kind of peace that, that Isaiah is speaking of is there is sort of that subjective kind of peace that you have in your life, but, but uh, that's not the primary reference that Isaiah has. Look back at verse 4, if you could again. You'll notice that Isaiah describes the rule of the Messiah, breaking the staff of the oppressors from the shoulders of his people, and then he says it will happen as on the day of Midian. Now, if you recall, in the book of Judges, the Midianites oppressed God's people. In, verse, in chapters 6 through 8, you'll, you'll read that. And so God raised up a, a judge uh, by the name of Gideon. Sort of a timid kind of guy. But uh, the Lord raised him up to triumph over the Midianites and to bring peace to the land. But the peace that Gideon brought was after he conquered the Midianites. That peace didn't come right away. There was a battle that, that took place. And in the same way, the Messianic King, Jesus Christ, well, he establishes his peace after he has won the final victory over sin and death. And so the peace the Messiah brings is a peace he fights for to win, uh, to rule in peace forever. Jesus labored and he toiled and he battled and he suffered and he went down into the nethermost parts of the earth. Look, if you would, at verse 5. It says, For every boot of the trampling, uh, tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. <coughs> in other words, Isaiah is describing the aftermath of a battle, of a great battle, where there's uh, the, the paraphernalia of combat everywhere. It's spread sort of all over the place. And someone has taken all that stuff after the battle, the bodies, the the clothes, all the, the weapons, all that has piled all that together and burned it as fuel for the fire. And, and that's what the battle is like after Christ has won it. It shows his great victory. He has absolute victory. Because Jesus is victorious and has conquered his enemies, he can and he does give us peace. Because that means that everything is placed under submission to Jesus Christ. So if you are thinking of Jesus only as a gentle, meek, mild, timid kind of person, 
then you're definitely not going to get what Isaiah is saying here as it talks about Jesus as the Prince of Peace. He is the warrior Messiah who has come and has won the victory. And because of that, we can have peace. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but have you ever thought about while Christ was on earth in his earthly ministry, how the earthly rulers were threatened by Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, think about Herod. Okay, Herod was not a man to be messed with. He was a terrible leader. I mean, he was ruthless. And, uh, you know, just the people would not cross him because he would just as easily eliminate them than anything else. And yet here's this powerful man who is in rule. And when he only hears that Christ is born from the, from, from the, uh, um, from the wise men, what's his reaction? He's terrified. He's threatened. He, he decides he has to eliminate this king. And so he goes out and he has every male child under two years of age killed because he was threatened by Jesus Christ. What about the religious leaders? You know, the Pharisees, the scribes, other religious leaders. You know, they were constantly after Jesus because he threatened them. He exposed them for, for who they were. And so they wanted to try to trap him even though they never could. Or, or even at the end of Jesus' life, as he's put, put on trial uh, for death, he's standing before Pilate. Here again, once again, a very powerful ruler. Uh, and he, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He wanted to know, is this guy a threat to Caesar? And, and Jesus said to him, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And so Christ comes as this powerful king, but it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not a geopolitical thing. And, and he doesn't use political instruments. And by the way, Christians, that's just a good reminder for us. That's not our weapons. Okay? We are Americans and we are citizens. And as American citizens, we should be involved in the political process. And we should be good citizens. And we should vote. And we should do other political things. But as Christians, that's not where our hope lies. And we've got to stop as the church putting our hope in political leaders that somehow that's going to change our country. The only thing that's going to change our country is King Jesus. And that's where our hope is. And our hope is not even that our country exists. Our hope is that God's kingdom will never be thwarted. And so even if the United States of America ceases to exist, we as his people have hope. Right? So anyway, that's just a, a, a side note. You know, his kingdom is a, is a spiritual kingdom. And he advances not by the sword or, or by earthly means or anything like that, but by the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need not to for, forget that. And while Jesus conquered all his enemies, yet the devil and the world, they still fight against him. We read about that in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verse 14. Revelation 17, 14. There's this picture of the world in opposition to Christ and the gospel. It says, they will make war on the Lamb, the Lamb being Jesus, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Now, how does He win that victory? He has won that victory upon the cross as He uh, um, conquered sin and death. 
And now he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, governing over all things for the sake of this church. And so, brothers and sisters, we can rest in him. I don't know what you're wrestling with this morning, what you're struggling with. I, I know some people, what they're going through, but, but not everybody. But what is the thing that is destroying your peace? Is it some circumstance? Is it a trial? Maybe a lack of control? What is it that's destroying your peace? Jesus rules over all things. And I know that our congregation has been through a lot this year. And not just trials that, that create an inconvenience in life, but the trials that you guys have gone through, that we have gone through, have been life-altering trials in some situations. And King Jesus continues to rule and to sustain His people. And as we look to Him, as we cast our burdens upon Him, He will give us peace. We have prayed for the persecuted church this year. And, and, and I hope that as you've prayed for the persecuted church and you've gone to some of the websites, we've, we've given you the links, you've read some of the articles and watched some of the movies and seen some of the things that the persecuted church is, is going through. And there is much malice and hatred towards Jesus Christ by the world. You see, that's how the world responds to Jesus. They hate Him and they are going to take it out on His people. Now, I know in our wealthy, enlightened context, the world responds, you know, to us, maybe in, you know, like, you know, giving us a nod, maybe uh, somebody, you know, saying some bad thing about us, or, or maybe if you say Jesus Christ is the only way to God, then people may get a little bit more upset. But in other places in the world, that contempt overflows into open persecution and hostility. And even there are brothers and sisters this morning that are gathering to worship who have family members who are now in heaven because of the persecution that their family has encountered. And so the church is suffering. The nations are making war against the Lamb. It feels very much like Psalm 22, or excuse me, Psalm 2, which says, The nations rage and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth... Uh, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Christ saying, let us burst their bounds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, the world doesn't want anything to do with God. They want to be free from God to, to do what they want to do. And that's how the world thinks about Jesus. But the psalmist goes on and he says, he who sits in the heavens, what? laughs the Lord holds them in derision then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying see I have set my king on Zion my holy hill you see Jesus reigns it's almost like he's saying to the nations do your worst but I am here to rule and that's what <coughs> Psalm 2 is saying so if you we are Christians, we should take heart. If you think back over 2022 and you see perhaps moral decay in our country and you see perhaps the church and our nation being weakened and, and the values that we once cherished being undermined and rejected and denied, it's so easy to be discouraged. 
Or you look around the world and you see the church peer persecuted and you, and, and you see them suffering and it's so easy to be discouraged. Sort of, I was sharing with my wife sort of what I was going to preach on today. And she said, wow, she goes, that sort of sounds like that Christmas carol. I heard the bells on Christmas morning, right? Let me just read to you a couple of stanzas that Longfellow wrote. He said, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, he said, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. <coughs> then the next stanza says, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Brothers and sisters, we should take heart because Jesus Christ is seated on his throne. He is the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of the peace, there is no end. You see, the outcome of the mission of the church that he has given to us is that we are to go and to make disciples. Will that happen? Yes. How do we know? Because Jesus has won the victory. His kingdom and his peace will increase without end to the glory of his great name. And you can face 2023, those of you who live under his rule without fear, not because you're competent for whatever may come, not because you're smart and you're wise and you're, you're capable. You can face 2023 and all your weakness and all your uncertainty without fear because your times are in his hands. He not only is the Prince of Peace, he is the wonderful counselor. He is the wise one. He is the almighty God. He is the everlasting Father. And you live today under the rule and the lordship of the Prince of Peace. Rest in his peace, brothers and sisters. Don't try to shoulder those things that your king has taken. And, and please, do not face 2023. Don't, don't face tomorrow. Don't face this afternoon without knowing what it is to come, what it is to come under the reign and the lordship of the Prince of Peace. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if he is not your savior, if you've not bowed your knee to him, today is the day to do that. The peace that he has is a real peace. How can you face another day without knowing the one who holds the future in his hands and reigns as king? working all things together for the good of those who love him. Come to Jesus today. Let's bow our heads as we meditate upon God's word this morning. Lord Jesus, we, we do confess to you that 
we often sort of cherry-pick the parts of the gospel story we like and we sort of blend them into our pre-existing lives and carry on as if nothing had changed. We've, we've used you to solve our, our, our consciences while we indulge in sin. We've, we've lived as though our lives are our own, as though we were king and master, as though executive authority rested with us. Oh God, forgive us. We have been rebels towards you. And yet at the same time, we have to confess to you we have attempted to carry the burdens of our lives. And so now we, here we are this morning before you and we ask you, Lord Jesus, to come and to rule in our hearts, to, to take your place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, we surrender the reign to you. Our shoulders aren't big enough. And we're just so thankful that the governance is upon your shoulders. Help us, Lord, instead just uh, to carry the light yoke that you give us. Lord, help us to rest in you. And may the peace of God rest upon the hearts of your people. Lord, if for those who don't know you here this morning, I pray, God, that they'll stop They'll stop. They'll just stop trying to control their lives, stop trying to, to run their lives the best way they know how. And Father, that, that you would open their eyes to see their sin and their need of a Savior. May they give their hearts to you. We pray in your name. Amen.